Today we have the pleasure to speak with Ali Madhavji, who is managing partner at Blockchain Founders Fund based in Singapore. Ali, welcome to Series A, the podcast where we talk about venture capital. Thanks so much for having me on the show, George. So um, let's uh, start uh, by talking a little bit, uh, if you can talk about yourself, your background and uh, about your, uh, the fund. And it is my understanding that you are also running some sort of an accelerator. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not, not exactly an accelerator. It's, um, it's what we call a venture program. So we don't do any group programming. Uh, we don't have batches, for example. Uh, but what we do is we help our founders across three aspects. So the first is strategy. The second is product market fit and helping them to drive sales traction using a lot of very hands-on uh, strategies and a lot of automation. And then the third and hyper-targeting, things like that. And then the third is helping our companies to become investment ready and, um, and helping them with strategies around being able to run numerous successful sort of rounds uh, that they plan to do. So, um, and that's been super successful. I'll, I'll sort of go back a little bit though and, 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 and share sort of some of my background. So, um, you know, as mentioned, managing partner at Blockchain Founders Fund uh, and ScaleX Ventures, and we invest in and venture build top tier startups. Um, we're also limited partners uh, and on the investment committee of Loyal VC and LPs on Draper Goren Home, which is a, a fund by Tim Draper, Alon Goren, and Joseph Home. And, um, and then we also work with uh, the United Nations around uh, how emerging technologies, including blockchain, can help to alleviate poverty and achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And then work with INSEAD as well, which is one of the leading business schools as senior blockchain fellow to help the institution be at the forefront of this technology. Um, apart from that, serve on a couple of public company boards, uh, including Mechanical Technologies, which is a NASDAQ-listed company, uh, as well as CryptoStar, which is a, a TSXV company. So, uh, you know, just, you know, lots of uh, exciting things sort of across the blockchain space. And we, we touch sort of companies across the entire spectrum, right? So companies in supply chain, ed tech, fintech, media entertainment, in the crypto industry, you know, many companies sort of in that space, uh, in mining, so crypto mining, uh, and, and all sorts of other things. And uh, as I know, you are recently, you have raised a fund. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, that fund? Yeah. So, so with, with Blockchain Founders Funds, so we've been operating it for, for a couple of years now. Uh, we've got about 50 portfolio companies and we've come into all of these companies, uh, you know, either pre-product market fit or with very little uh, revenues. And we've seen tremendous success to date. Uh, we've got performance in the top percentile of, of VC globally. And, you know, we've already got companies now that have gone north of a, a hundred million from a couple million dollar valuation, zero revenue when we come in. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, companies that'll hit, you know, 10 million in revenue this year that, you know, had zero two years ago or close to zero. Um, and, and a big part of that is, you know, how hands-on we are with our companies uh, to help them scale and grow, to help them hyper-target and understand their market and actually drive sales in a much more scalable manner. 
Um, and that's a big part of sort of how we think about things and how we drive and implement like very specific processes into companies uh, that, that drive substantial value. Um, we are uh, raising a new fund uh, quite soon. So, um, and it's based on our existing model and we're sort of continuing to expand it. So the goal is to do another 200 investments in the next four to four and a half years. So it's a pretty quick pace that, that we also move at. So uh, that is the fund that will be based in Singapore? Correct. Yeah, so the new fund is going to be based out of Singapore. Uh, so that's the plan. And, uh, and we've already got a ton of interest given our performance. Uh, you know, uh, and so it's, it's been pretty attractive for, for a lot of investors looking to, you know, not only get something that's relatively safer because we've got, if you, from a portfolio, you know, theory perspective, we've got a lot of diversification across a lot of industries. Um, but also just the fact that blockchain itself has been a space that a lot of investors are looking for exposure to and just don't frankly know how, right. Uh, it's very difficult to get into these deals very early, but these are sort of the infrastructure and the brand and reputation that we've built out over many years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in the presentation that you shared with me previously, uh, I see that you have a, a model which is zero and uh, twenty. Um, this is pretty aggressive. I haven't uh, come across such a model um, uh, quite often. So, could you talk about uh, why why you don't take any uh, management fees? And uh, I mean, how are you going to uh, are you so confident like that. that everything is uh, going to give you profits? Yeah, so it's a, it's a really good question, right? And, and this sort of also stems from, a, uh, in some ways, a, a philosophical perspective as, as an investor in a lot of companies and in, and in other funds as well, where, you know, we believe, frankly, that a lot of the venture capital industry, you know, just doesn't perform. Right. So if you actually look at the data, it's about 2% of, of, of VCs are actually driving the vast majority of the returns for the entire industry. And, and so that would, in, in, hence, that would sort of mean that, you know, the vast majority of VC funds are actually there to just collect fees. Um, and that's not the business we're in. We're, we're in the business of driving returns and creating value. And we're, we are super confident in sort of what we do. And we've seen, you know, the results, you know, speak for itself with our portfolio companies. And there's a reason why, you know, many of our portfolio companies have broken out in, in sort of record sort of times. Um, and, and so the way that we do it, to give you an idea, is we actually are supplementing back the, um, the management fee to the fund through the accelerator component, essentially, or the venture program component, right? So because we earn a little bit of equity on sort of the, the venture program, we basically take that and we put a large portion of that back into the fund to make up for those returns that are essentially lost from typical management fees. And this, I think, is an important because this also helps us drive outsized return. So from day one, we're typically looking at 
somewhere in the range of a, a 21 to 25% return for your LPs on deals that we're going into. Um, and that's just based on all of the things that we're doing with our companies, right? That includes, you know, covering things like designers that our companies can just use that we, you know, we cover or, you know, how we're supporting them to drive sales or, you know, our global expert network or, you know, all of our partnerships with leading corporates that, you know, our companies tap into to, to save hard real dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ali, since uh, you are a blockchain expert and a cryptocurrency expert, Uh, Let me ask uh, a couple of questions on those subjects. Uh, When do you think that uh, we are going to be able to go in a McDonald's store or or a Starbucks and uh, pull out our mobile phone and uh, pay for our coffee or for our Big Mac using Ethereum or Bitcoin? When is this going to happen around the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a good question, right? I think that um, it, it sort of depends on a philosophy, right? So personally, I mean, I don't use Bitcoin for those types of things, and I, and I, nor would I want to, right? I mean, I don't really want to use, let's say, gold to buy coffee. I mean, that's, that's not, uh, if you think about it in that perspective, or Apple stock as an example. I mean, it, it, to me, it just doesn't fully make sense. Um, and so I don't think that we're going to be going out and, and buying a coffee with Bitcoin, although some people want to. And I think there's sort of that aspect. I think the more likely aspect is it's going to be some sort of combination where maybe a small percentage of your, your assets can get liquidated. It would move into something like a stable coin, right? And then that stable coin, essentially, you could use to, to pay for you know, your local domestic goods like a coffee, um, that also needs to make sure that it's not a global currency. So you've heard sort of things in, in the past about, say, like Facebook, Libra, and, and, and sort of what they were doing, and they sort of rebranded. But, um, you know, with, with that, one of the issues that I think they realize as well is you can't have a global currency to buy domestic goods. So if you think about it, right, if you have a, a global currency, what's happening is, you know, you would take, that money and you, you try to spend it locally. And so what would happen is there needs to be a conversion. So an FX conversion from, you know, that global currency to that local currency to pay for a local good, because all, all goods at your local store are going to be in your domestic currency. Right. And so if you're in, in, in France, that's euros. If you're in the U S that's U S dollars. If you're, you know, elsewhere in Singapore, that's Singapore dollars. And so you'd have an, an FX transaction there, but then you can't pay your suppliers you know, with that. And, and so now you might have to pay your suppliers. Some are going to be domestic, some are international. And so now you've got more conversions there. And so you, you end up um, in reality getting multiple FX conversions um, for a domestic transaction, which is what, what shouldn't be happening. Um, but I do think that local stable coins, which is now the direction that we've started to move, makes sense. Uh, but that's very similar to how you can just think about traditional currency in a digital form. Um, and that's, that's more along the lines of what I think people will be spending. You'll see some people spend cryptocurrency uh, because they have sort of a lot of gains. And so like, you'll see them Essentially, though, what's happening in the background is that is getting converted in, in the vast majority of cases to still your domestic currency, and then, and then it's being used. So very few players, I think Tesla has announced, though, that they're going to keep the Bitcoin that people pay them on their balance sheet. 
But most companies uh, are actually liquidating that on receipt. And so in reality, you're basically paying domestic currency. It's just getting sold to a third party. And this party is going to get essentially your, your domestic currency, like US dollars, for example. Um, yeah, so that, that's sort of the way I look at it. Uh, of course, there's a lot of challenges still with gas fees and other scalability on those major chains. Uh, but you do have a lot of exciting things happening with like wrapped Bitcoin, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, tell us your opinion about uh, DAOs, which is the decentralized yeah. autonomous organizations. Do you have some of them uh, in your uh, fund? Are you incubating any of those? So we do, we do have some DAOs uh, in our portfolio and, and we think that there's a really bright future uh, for DAOs, right? Um, I mean, there's a lot of challenges to figure out, but when you look at the fact that you can have uh, an organization that sort of represents, say, the people or the, you know, the, the, the shareholders in some way or token holders in some way that doesn't necessarily have centralized management. Maybe that is voted in every so often or can, has processes to get voted out and the community can vote on proposals in the direction. I think that this creates uh, a, lot of, a lot of benefits. Uh, there's still a lot of challenges to figure out in terms of on, on-chain governance, et cetera. But I, I do think there's a lot of value I think where we'll start to see sort of more of this, we, we will start to see more of this emerge and almost replace equity structures over the long run. I think, um, you know, I can very much see community driven uh, initiatives. Not all businesses are going to be DAOs though, right? But, you know, you can see a lot of opportunity and space for community driven projects that then can elect or vote in certain representatives to handle certain initiatives and would earn, say, salaries or tokens through, uh, you know, a portion of the fees that happen from, from the entire ecosystem. And so you can create sustainable, long-term, you know, autonomous organizations um, that represents the interests of the public and when, or, or, or their holders. And, and when that is misaligned, it's very easy to make changes and, 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 and fix that, right? Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about this, but I think in, in a lot of cases, I would say it's still relatively experimental, um, but not entirely, right? So you do have players, if you think about Uniswap, Uniswap is, is a DAO, um, and you know has very substantial traction to date. So, for example, Uniswap has a forty billion dollar diluted, fully diluted market cap, and has you know nine or eight and a half billion dollars of assets held on it, um, and and over a billion dollars of daily transaction volume. So, it gives you an idea of how big some of these DAOs are starting starting to get. And uh, you mentioned that you have some DAOs in your portfolio. Could you? share with our audience some examples of, uh, for example, what do they do? If you, if you can share that information. Yeah. So, so there's a number of them uh, being worked on right now. So I actually can't, can't go into a ton of details until it gets publicly released by them, but you know, you can think of it as, you know, governance around uh, let's say a game would be a good example or governance around uh, 
uh, a platform for, um, you know, a very valuable and, and commonly used tool in the, in the crypto space. And so, you know, we want this to be driven by the public for the public and keeping the public's best interest in mind. So you, you have those sorts of things. And, and you also hear of, you know, Binance talks about, you know, when they might switch, you know, the equity shareholders out and, and move entirely to a DAO. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've heard CZ talk about this. And, and I think it's very important for the industry. I think one, it drives more value uh, for everybody. Uh, and I think it represents people's interests better. Uh, but there is still a lot of challenges to figure out on these structures. Yeah. Um, w- would you see a DAO uh, operating in the physical world? For example, in real estate, would uh, how about a DAO um, purchasing real estate uh, houses would would that be a possibility it, it it definitely can be right i think i think it's you know we're still further away from that i would say but you can almost think of it as just you know representation um by 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 voting uh, essentially um and and maybe it's not a one-to-one vote of everyone's vote is equal but maybe it's based on ownership or, or other structures yeah. but you know, I, I think that when you when you look at it, it makes a lot more sense in certain cases, or even to be able to consistently elect, you know, meritocratically uh, the people that deserve and, and are, are are say extremely experienced in a sector to then make decisions for the group. But if you think about it, like in that real estate example you gave, you could you know, have a bunch of capital that's put in, you could have a, a system that's designed to pick, you know, 10 incredibly intelligent uh, experts on the real estate side. And then those individuals are essentially making a lot of the core decisions for speed purposes. And we get compensated out of that DAO structure, but then could also be replaced if they're not you know, having an impact, but relatively quickly. And then for bigger proposals, it can still come back to the community. And so you can start to create pretty interesting structures that are more efficient than a lot of the structures we see today around. Yeah. Um, let's switch back to, to venture capital. Uh, the other day I interviewed your colleague and I asked him uh, the same question I will ask you. Uh, do you see uh, a venture fund uh, created out of uh, cryptocurrencies instead of fiat money. Do you see that happening anytime soon, or are you are you going to do that? Yourself? So, so I, I can definitely see it happening. I think we're a little early right now uh, to be doing that entirely because there's still a lot of traditional capital looking to get exposure to the space and understand the space. There's a lot of also capital in the in the in the crypto sort of blockchain sphere that's you know, looking at this. And so different parts are more open versus less open to this. Um, so I do see it happening and, and we will sort of be on top of that trend, you know, when it's the right time. But I think for now, it still makes more sense to be a bit more of a traditional structure, but that takes advantage of a lot of the benefits that also come from the crypto and blockchain, you know, sphere. Um, you know, to have the sort of best of both worlds right now until things actually mature a little more on this. Okay. So Ali, as we are uh, coming to the end of our conversation, 
Uh, let me ask you about your uh, fundraising process and um, if you could give our audience some best practices because you are also fundraising all the time, as I understand. And uh, how would the aspiring venture capitalists go about uh, uh, contacting family offices or institutional investors or other type of investors? Yeah, it's a good, good question, right? So I think there's a few parts. Uh, one, it helps a lot sort of being in our position with a very strong track record um, and having sort of very established processes and deal flow and, and things that already help us to differentiate uh, and create a really exciting opportunity for, you know, prospective investors. Uh, I think a couple of the other things are you know, we do have a, a global reputation and have, you know, quite strong connections uh, and trust in the market. And that, that I think helps a lot for, you know, people to make introductions or even, you know, within our own network to, to be interested to come in on, on our fund, which is what we're seeing right now. And then I think the third part is, you know, going out and, and creating some processes to target individuals that could could be interested uh, in the fund. And so, you know, we did actually uh, contact as well, some people, um, you know, that run say family office relationships at a lot of the biggest, you know, financial institutions or other organizations that are helping to make introductions to um, family offices that seem uh, interested in, in, in getting exposure to this space. Uh, and so that's also been, quite helpful as part of, you know, what we're doing to really expand our, our network as well, because one of the, one of the parts is sort of getting the capital for the fund, which actually in reality is not that difficult. I think the, the thing that we're also very conscious of is we're running a global fund, which is not actually that common. And in our industry, you have to run a global fund because deals, deals are global in, in the blockchain and crypto space. And, and you can have a company come out of Asia that that'll hit unicorn status as a company can in Silicon Valley or in sub-Saharan Africa or Latin America. And so this also means that as part of our, you know, construction of LPs, we're also making sure that we're very conscious about building, you know, and deepening networks across the globe as well. And so we really want that representation uh, as part of, you know, how we put this together. Yeah, so you said global uh, versus local. Um, what are the differences and which one is easier? I mean, it's definitely easier to run a, a localized fund. I mean, most funds that you see would say like, hey, we invest in, you know, FinTech in North America, for example. Um, and that's typically what you see, right? With a lot of funds that are very focused on specific region or country even. Um, and global funds are just less common. And, and, and the reason is it's much more difficult. It's difficult to be build, say, dominant uh, reputation, a dominant deal flow of, of, of companies at that stage all across the world. But that's exactly you know, what we're doing and we're taking on that challenge. And we've built our reputation over many years. We've built very sophisticated deal flow processes. We've backed a lot of deals that have been, you know, very successful that, you know, helps to build that reputation, helps for startups, you know, startup word of mouth even uh, between founders of, of, you know, some of their most instrumental 
you know, supporters. And so we get a lot of introductions from our existing founders. And these sorts of things go a long way uh, as part of that journey, right? And I assume your founders are also scattered all over the place and their companies are based anywhere. Is that correct? Exactly, right? So we're about 35% North America, uh, about 30% in Asia, and then the rest is scattered across Europe, Latin America, you know, Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, Australia. Uh, and so it's, it's, it is truly uh, global. And, uh, and, and we have over 200 experts as part of our global expert network all across the globe. Uh, and so that's also a big, big support. We've got venture partners all around the world. And so these are all very important parts for us to, to build, you know, you know, a very dominant uh, early stage fund that, you know, helps us get into, you know, all of the best deals uh, before even people realize they're attractive. And we've seen that, right? We've, we've, we have companies in our portfolio that couldn't raise that we came into and now they're extremely hot. Their rounds are 4X, 5X oversubscribed and, and things change as, as you, you know, support them to, to solve some of the big problems that they're having in an early stage. Uh, okay, that's very valuable information, Ali. As we are closing, would you like uh, to mention anything else about your uh, fund or your activities to our audience? Yeah, I mean, please, please feel free to reach out to me if you're a startup building, uh, you know, an exciting venture. Uh, definitely reach out. Happy to take a look. We uh, look and respond to every company that, that reaches out to us, which I, I don't think a lot of uh, funds can say. And we're always striving to do that. We do get a lot of a lot of companies reaching out, but we do actually review all of them. Um, and so please don't hesitate to reach out. If, if you're interested in the fund, also feel free to, to reach out to me on socials or, or LinkedIn and, and happy to, to have a chat. And the founders have to be building something in the blockchain space to reach to you. So, uh, I mean, ideally in the blockchain space, but if they are building something outside of the blockchain space that has potential uh, and, and good potential to apply to the blockchain space, then you know, we're also happy to take a look because we've had many successful companies as well that have, have pivoted or, or, or sort of entered into the blockchain space uh, because it makes a lot of sense for their product though. So we can't, we can't put a, you know, um, we, we can't put something that doesn't make sense and, and we'll, we'll see pretty quickly if it, if it makes sense. But you know, there are a lot of opportunities for companies to look at blockchain and how it actually creates real value. Ali, it was a pleasure to talk with you. We will be sure to watching the news of the Blockchain Founders Fund. See you later. Thank you so much for having me on the show.